Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm happy to be back amongst family. Uh, interesting enough, you know, on the way, on the drive over here, my wife says to me, would you like living here? And I said, uh, a few years ago. <laughs> Do it, Lord. I said, a few years ago, absolutely not. Nowadays, maybe, I, you know. Um, he's absolutely correct. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people, anybody who knows me knows that I have a very small circle of friends. You know, my buddy Nate over there, he's one of my best friends. Um, I don't take too many people in my circle. It's very tight, but, you know, the few guys that I take into my circle, they're very close to me, and I, I love them to death, and I would do just about anything to them. And, and the truth is, you know, they've always poured loyalty into me, so I pour loyalty into them. I'm, I'm just that type of person. And so I'm, I'm thankful for him and his family always. I'm thankful for you guys. Um, it's just been, this is just my second time being here, but I feel like I'm amongst family. Um, as you can see, we've got an addition to the family. Um, shortly after we, I, I left here on Sunday, uh, the next mo- Monday in the uh, Tuesday morning, so by at night, uh, her water broke, and she had the baby at four, about 4 a.m. on Tuesday. Oh my so it wasn't very much longer. I, we, I prayed before we came out here, and I said, Lord, just hold back the baby until I'm done preaching. <laughs> and God heard my prayers, so Amen. I'm thankful for that. Amen. Um, I'm just, once again, I'm happy to be here with you guys. I, I, I failed to tell you guys last time that um, you know, currently we attend uh, Calvary Chapel Williamsburg in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, we're part of the, Cal- the Calvary Chapel movement. If you guys don't know what that is, if you've guys ever seen the movie, uh, the Jesus Revolution movie, it's based on um, Greg Laurie, who's a Calvary Chapel guy. That's how we refer to ourselves, Calvary <laughs> Chapel guys. And, um, and Chuck Smith, who was the, uh, uh, played by um, Kelsey Grammer. He's the founder of uh, the Calvary Chapel movement. So you've got a Calvary Chapel in Gloucester. I saw on the way over here. You've got one in Gloucester, Newport News, uh, Virginia Beach, Williamsburg, Richmond, all over the place. Um, that's the, uh, we, we attend a church in Williamsburg. And my pastor is Pastor Tom Hallman, who we've been with since about 2018. So I failed to inform you guys of that last time, and I apologize. All right, so as you guys, uh, some of you guys may know. I know he knows. I know Nate knows. I am a huge history buff, especially church history. Now, our Catholic friends would say that the more you study church history, the more you become Catholic. (laughs) I disagree completely. I feel like the more you study church history, especially early church fathers, the more Protestant you become. Because you start to see how a lot of the things they did, we still do today. So, that being said, this might be a little dry in the beginning. But stay with me, please. I promise you to tie in and you guys will be very encouraged at the end of this. So, huh? Stay with you. Yeah, stay with me. Also, on October 31st of 1517, uh, uh, a guy that nobody knows by the name of Martin Luther wrote to his bishop, Albrecht von Brandenburg, protesting against the sale of indulgences. So in other words, the Roman Catholic Church was saying, if you give us money, you can go to heaven. And you can pray for people to go to heaven. Just give us money. And Martin Luther, while studying the word of God, said, no, this is incorrect. I have a problem with this. He enclosed in his letter a copy of his Disputation on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences, which came to be known as the 95 Thesis, if anybody ever heard of that. And he he nailed it to the door at Wittenberg, right? And it was a proclamation. And that was the beginning of the uh, Protestant Reformation. What people don't know is that uh, a lot of people don't understand is he was not trying to start a new church. What he was trying to do is reform the church to what it was before, 
That's why it's called the Reformation. And Protestant means in protest. So the Protestant Reformation was in protest of what the Catholic Church was doing in order to reform the church back to what it once was. And what was he basing that on? He was basing that on what he found in the scriptures. And, he, we, and through the Protestant Reformation, we came up with, maybe you guys have heard of it before, these five key principles of what we believe Christians should adhere to. And what they call, what? The five solas of, of the Reformation. Does anybody know what those five solas are? Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura is one. That's correct. All right. Solo Fide. Solo Fide. That's right. Which is faith alone. Right? So it's we have... What is it? It's Latin. Latin, that's right. They're Latin. So you have Sola Scriptura, which means Scripture alone, which I'll get into in a little bit. Solus Christus means Christ alone. Sola Fide, which means faith alone. Sola Gratia, which means grace alone. And Soli Deo Gloria, which means glory to God alone. Now, just in case, I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not, <laughs> I am not reformed. And it, I, I'm just saying that out there. And I'm encouraged because I had a conversation with the pastor prior to. And um, he was saying some things like, okay, well, you know, I said, the, the message might be a little sound, reformed sounding, but trust me, it's not. Just stay with me. Okay? So, Sola Scriptura, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may complete e- equipped for every good work. Now, oftentimes we'll be accused of people who are sola scriptura, meaning what? That the scripture alone is our primary authority. It's not our only authority because obviously if you're driving down the road and you get pulled over by a police officer, they have authority over you, right? It's not our only authority. But when it comes to life and spirituality is our primary source of authority, is the scripture. Oftentimes us as Protestants will be accused of Worshiping scripture. And that is not true. We don't worship the scripture, but we do know that if you come to me and you say this, this, and this, and God said this, and this, and this, if you don't say it in the word, I don't care. And we have to be like that as Protestants, and we have to be like that as Christians. We have to say, by what, by what standard? Amen. By what standard? Amen. What is our standard? Our standard is the scripture and the scripture alone. Amen. Because everything that deviates from that leads to all kinds of different things, and we don't want any of that. Second of Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we know that the word of God comes from men inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? So this word is what we have that has been given to us that we know is the word of God. Anything else is a maybe, right? Anything else is a maybe. But we know for sure that if we stay in the scriptures, we've got the word of God. So that is our argument for sola scriptura. That's, that's the primary argument for that. Solus Christus. This is a given. Christ alone. John 1.1. 1, 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We know that Jesus Christ... The Son of God came down in the form of a man in order to die on the cross of Calvary so that we can be saved, right, as he was uh, taking atonement for our sins. And without him, we would be lost. Each and every person here would be lost. We are a wretched man. All of us fall short of the glory of God. But because of Christ dying on the cross as the propitiation for our sins, right? And we know that because 
prior to, in order to, became, to become, uh, when you sinned, in order to become righteous in the eyes of God, you had to have a blood sacrifice, right? In the Old Testament, it was animals, right? You had to sprinkle the animals' blood. So there was all, it's always been that way. Sin had to be uh, atoned with blood. But what, blood, what better blood than the blood of Christ that is eternal? And is eternal. It's no greater blood. He never sinned. Therefore, we are made in communion with God through his sacrifice. Amen. And there's no better glory. There's no other sacrifice that can be greater than that. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And you'll see that throughout, throughout, as we're going through this, you'll see these same things coming up again. Faith, grace, Christ, God, all these things tying in together. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has he had passed over from sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. So we are found what? We are found, he's, we are found just in the eyes of God through the propitiation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And there's no other sacrifice that could be made like that. We as sinners, if you stop and think about all your shortcomings, all your failures, all the times that you have failed God, all the times that you have failed your parents, your, your wife, your children, and you say to yourself, all the times that you have sinned, all the things that no, maybe nobody else has known, but you can lay it at the foot of the cross. You can lay it before Christ, and he can take those things, and you can be made just, and you can be made righteous in the eyes of God. Amen. And there's nothing greater than that. Nothing that no man can do, no woman can do, no pastor, no, nobody else next to you can do that can be as great as that. And we praise the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. We praise God for that. Solo fide, faith alone. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Oftentimes the Roman Catholics will say, uh, you know, we do a, a works-based thing because we're depending on faith. And that, you know, they accuse us of still doing works-based. You know, we try to separate ourselves from them by saying we don't do works-based things in order to be uh, reconciled to Christ. And they say, yes, you do, because you're always talking about faith and how you have to have more faith and you have to do things by faith. But we know that the scripture tells us that faith comes from where? Faith comes from the Lord. So it's not a work on our own. It's a work of the Holy Spirit within us. That when we become saved, right, we have this faith that is growing in the Lord and and through the Holy Spirit, and we become closer to the Lord. So it's not a work. It's a trust in the Lord. And that is what we're talking about when we're saying faith alone. How far does faith alone get you? Faith alone gets you to, a, to a, a, a just position in the eyes of God. Because you know that it's nothing of your own. And oftentimes we struggle through life because we say, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to get through this problem. I don't know what it's going to take for me to be happy. Or I don't know what it's going to take for me to get better or more righteous or more holy. And we, we have to understand that it's not of us. We have to lean on the Holy Spirit and we say, Holy Spirit, I don't understand how I'm going to get to this position. I need you to get me there. And trust in the Lord and have faith that he will take you to that place. 
Just imagine, imagine the apostles as they're going to these other places, these other countries, and they're preaching the gospel into places that they've never been before, people that they've never seen, languages that they've never heard, um, you know, and, and having to travel to these places and say, you know, what, I'm going to take the gospel message to these people, right? They had to have faith. They had to. They had to in order to, 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 to do the things, the job that God had called them to do. And it's incumbent on us as believers in order to step out in faith as well. Because God calls us to. God calls us to make disciples of all men. And you know what that takes? That takes courage and that takes faith. Amen. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works, like I was saying earlier, of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Why is that? Because no one can, can, can complete the law perfectly. It's impossible. It's impossible to, to, to complete the works of the law always. But God, in his omniscience, gave us the law for what purpose? He gave us the law so that we could know what sin is. And we could recognize sin in, in ourselves, in our lives, in our hearts. And that we can turn from that to who? To Christ. Because in the Old Testament, if you read the stories of the Old Testament, you read the story of the Israelites and the Jewish people, they always fell short. They always fell short. Why? Because they couldn't complete the, um, the, the law perfectly. They never could. And what we see in the examples of the Old Testament, instead of them turning to God, they turn to works-based actions, right? They turn to their neighbors, they turn to the pagan religions, and they start adopting that. They start pulling up Asherah poles, they start sacrificing children to Molech in order to try to become righteous in the eyes of God. Works-based, right? And it's constantly, and that's the nature of humankind. We try to take control of what we feel like our lives, and when we're losing control, we try to grab control of that again. And, you know, oftentimes we need to be re reminded that the God who created everything is our God, yeah. and that we can rest in him, Amen. right? And we can, we can have that faith in him that he will take care of us. And we have to be reminded of that constantly. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached by the, the gospel beforehand by Abraham saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed among, along with Abraham, the man of faith. I should be hearing a praise God now. Because yes. every single one of us here that I know of at least is a Gentile. Is there anyone not a Gentile? Okay. Right? So all of us are Gentiles, right? So we should be praising God because God calls us equal to a man of faith like Abraham. He has given us an opportunity to have that faith like Abraham. Yes. Praise God. Thank the Lord that he has given us Gentiles of all different backgrounds, nations. You know, uh, I can often tell about how much me and, uh, and your pastor are alike. You know, it's, you know, he gets up here and he says things. I'm like, hey, amen. You know, those things that I say. And I think, and, but we are, as far as our upbringings and things, we're completely opposite. You know, he, he calls me a Yankee, which, which you are. it's a derogatory term for me. <laughs> As a Mets fan, I would rather you call me a Metropolitan <laughs> rather than a Yankee. But, um, you know, we are completely two different, completely type of people. Yet, despite all that, two different type of upbringings, right? I was, I was raised in New York City. I grew up in the South Bronx. I was born in Harlem. And um, two different, completely different types of, of upbringings. But still in all, when I met him, the, our, our spirits spoke to each other, right? And we knew. 
And we knew. We said, here's a man of God. He's a man of God. And honestly, at the time that we met each other, we were both in a transition phase in our lives. Both of us transitioning out of uh, positions that we were in. You know, he had a, a, a working in a, in a pastor role. I was working in an associate pastor role. And we were both finding ourselves at a, at a, a crossroads in our, in our spiritual walk and where God was leading us to other places. We were, I would say we were fairly young men still, you know, <laughs> in our 30s. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, God took us and, and united us in a position where we, we learned from each other. And um, I'm thankful, you know, for brothers like, like him that I can see that, um, you know, the Lord is moving in him in a position where, you know, um, he's stepping out in faith. And there were times where, you know, he called me and he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. We spoke and there were hard times for both of us. You know, when um, at the end of the fire department thing, we both got injured on the job and we both lost our jobs at the same, the same exact day. Yeah. And, I rem- and I remember saying, saying to him, you know, we were sitting there and they were pulling people in the office. And I remember he's such a positive guy. Then he says, uh, you know, uh, they pulled one of the girls in first and he says, I said, hey, man, I think they're going to fire us. <laughs> and we were sitting out in the field, all of us, and it was like a four, four or five of us. All the injured people. Yeah, all the injured people were sitting in the field, all four or five of us, right? And, I, and, uh, and everybody was in white shirts that day, and I looked around, and I was like, I don't have a good feeling about this. And he, he looked at me, and I, and I said, hey, man, I think they're going to fire us. And he was like, no, man, they're probably just going to counsel us and help us. And I was like, okay, he's trying to give me like a, a positive spin on things. And, of course, the first girl comes out, and she's like, yeah, they fired me. And I was like, well, this is probably happening. And, I rem- and, and you know, we talked, right? And I, I think I was the last one to go. And um, I was angry. I was upset. And I remember being very upset. And um, after he went and he came out with a smile, he said, hey, well, let's get lunch after this, you know? And I was like, okay. And I went in there very angry. And um, I had worked for the city of Hampton for, for years before that. So it was, it was just a linear. I was a uh, sheriff's deputy before going into the fire department. So um, I had, uh, in my mind, I was like, I'm upset. I'm going to tell them A, B, C, D, and I'm going to let them know this, this, that, because I'm upset. And, you know, on the way in there, I just remember the peace of the Lord coming over me and just being like, you know, this is going to be, this is fine. And I sat in front of the, the chief, and he looked at me, and he said, you've been here long enough. You know what this is about. And I said, yeah, I know what this is about. And he was like, all right, well, it's nothing personal. This parting ways. Hope everything works out for you. And I was like, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the opportunity. Shook his hand. I walked out. We went in and we got lunch together. We, we, we limped out. Yeah, we limped out. <laughs> we did. It's tough, man. I'm telling you. It was rough. Um, and, um, Maybe we weren't young enough. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. If you're planning on getting in the fire department, do it in your 20s, not in your 30s. And, um, uh, you know, we went out there and, you know, I thank God for that day because so much it shaped me in such a way I had to have faith, you know. Yes. Um, my, my daughter, Kara, was, was small. She was a baby at the time. Um, we had just gotten into a new place, and it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. I'm, I don't have a job. And I went from being a, a sergeant in the, uh, in the sheriff's office to fire recruit, and now it's just Alex. And that was a sobering moment for me driving home when I didn't have a, a formal title anymore. It had been years without a formal title, and I just, it was just Alex. And I went home to my, my wife, and I realized at that moment that I just have my family and I have God. And I knew that I was going to be okay. And the Lord took me from that to someplace better. And I've, we've been doing better ever since. And I, they called me. 
I don't know if they called you, but they called me. They called me. They called me a few. <laughs> they called me about a month later, and they said, "Hey, you're a really good EMT. We think you make a fantastic uh, paramedic. We can work on the fire stuff, but we want you back." And I was like, "Thanks, but no thanks." And the guy was like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah, thanks, but no thanks." And I hung up, and that was it. And um, I'm thankful because it put me in a position where I had to have faith in the Lord. I'm thankful for that opportunity that happened because at the time, it felt like the world was crushing in on me. It felt like I didn't know what to do. It felt like I was at my, at my weakest. But, you know, the Lord took me to better positions, even, you know, spiritually within the church. He moved us into Calvary Chapel, which, um, you know, we've been blessed ever since then. You know, um, and I know that God has been moving in us. Uh, to do something else, and I'm praying on the Lord uh, that he continues to help us in that path. You know, we've had some discussions and prayer about what the next level or the next step that God wants to take us to. But I can only do that through faith in Christ. I can only do that if I trust in the Lord. I can only do that if I put, because I am not a people person, believe it or not. I'm not a people person. But some, for some reason, people are drawn to me. And that's, and that's my lot in life, right? If it, was, if it was up to me, and you could ask my, my, my oldest daughter, would tell you without a, without a shadow of a doubt. If it was up to me, I'd sit on the sofa all day long by myself. And I'd be very content. But that's not my lot in life. It's, it's hey, hey, can you? Hey, hey. And I... And I'm like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. But praise God, because that, you know, it's a, luckily for me, God has put a zeal in me for it. So that despite my desire to not do it, God has put a zeal in it for me that I, I feel drawn and I have to. So praise God for that. And then, of course, you know, these last two are going to kind of tie in together. So, um, and, and, and one of them I want to park in a little bit, and that's where I'm going to wind up going with this. So just bear with me a little bit as, you know, you just kind of unravel it. And then, of course, you have grace alone, or sola gratia, and which ties into soli deo gloria, which means to God alone be the glory. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You see it's tying again. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that I may not boast in my salvation, right? My, my salvation is through God alone, through Christ alone. It's not anything I can do to earn my salvation. Praise God that he calls us and we respond to the, to the call that he has given us, right? And if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose again and he's at the right hand of the Father, you repent of your sins, you will be saved for the day of redemption. And praise God, I don't need to do 11 cartwheels after that. I don't need to be, you know, uh, baptized in Israel in order to earn my salvation. I don't need to, you know, uh, hang from a cross for a certain amount of hours or whatever it is, you know, uh, 7,000 7, Hail Marys. I don't need to do any of that. In order to be saved. Praise God. Yes. Romans chapter 3 verse 27 says. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So once again you see the same themes tying in together. Faith in whom? Faith in Christ. Because we have that faith in Christ. We are acquitted but in the eyes of God. Praise God. And thankful, we are thankful for that. And it's through grace alone. It's through God's grace. And why is this important? This is important because if our salvation is by grace alone, 
It's only if our salvation is by grace alone will God alone receive all the glory. If there is something of our own we can claim, then we no longer boast in Christ alone. But if he is the author and finisher of our salvation, then he alone is to be magnified for his sovereign grace. I know those are scary words for (laughs) non-Calvinists. Just the thought of this should shake us to our very foundation. It reminds us on how great and profound God's love for us truly is. This isn't a matter of works. This is a matter of of love. This is a matter of love. This is a matter of God reaching out to us who don't deserve his love and giving us an opportunity through grace. And we can see grace throughout our lives in every aspect. When you wake up in the morning, you, you have grace. Because you know what? There's millions of people who didn't wake up this morning. Praise God. There's, when we take our first breath in the morning, that's, that's through grace. Right? He gives us our breath. Because yes. again, there's millions of people who, didn't, who are struggling to breathe right now. Right. Praise God. When you wake up in the morning and you, and you look at your wife or, or your husband... That's a gift from God, right? And there's millions of people who desire a wife and or or husband. Praise God. God alone be the glory. When you look at your children, right, and you say, you know what? Praise God for my children. Because there's millions of people, of women and and fathers and husbands who are praying on a child. You know, and you say, praise God. I praise God because my wife has a, a medical condition, right? And they told us that we would never have kids. Right, and uh, I, I never forget when we um, Leilani, when Leilani was about two years old, we went to the doctor, and we said, you know, she's not getting pregnant again, and they said, well, that's because she has this genetic condition, and I was like, oh, okay, so the doctor's talking, and telling us, and so blah 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 blah, you you may you may never have any children, and I said, oh, we have a two year old, and she said, what? I said, yeah, we have a two year old, and she said, she looked at me and she said, that's a miracle. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Glory to God. Amen. And, and, you know, she's been pregnant six times. And they said she couldn't. You know, we've lost three, including, you know, a daughter that was born and, and she went with the Lord. But as you can see, God is still blessing me. And so, you know, um, I've got three times the miracles that they told me I could have. So for the, anybody who's, you know, struggling with those kind of things, just know that, you know, you just have faith in God. I thought I would have all my kids in early age in my 20s, and that would be it. I'm 40 years old still having kids. So, so God's ways are not always our ways, but we have to have faith. But I always knew we would have children, and I always knew we would have more than Leilani. There was a time when Leilani was eight years old before we had Kara. And um, there was a time where um, my wife said to me, she said, you know, I'm comfortable if it's just Leilani. And I said, no, we're going to have more. Amen. And... It happened, and here we are. Now we've got three, three. So I praise God for that. Praise God. And in all these aspects throughout your life, these things that you see, you can say, praise God. Through God's grace, these things happen. It's God's grace alone that he graces us with his favor. We don't do anything to deserve his grace because we always fall short. But thankfully, he continues to give us grace, including those suffering times. And it's hard to remember that. And it's hard to think of that. Because through those suffering, God may be pouring his grace into you. So that, why? So that you may lean in more on him and not on yourself. And we have to be reminded constantly that it's God's grace that brings us here. And when you're going through those sufferings, sometimes you say, you know what? Like Paul said, take these away. 
But sometimes he's getting you there for a reason. He's trying to shape you. He's trying to mold you. You know, and when I got fired from the fire department, why, Lord? Why? Why would you do this to me, Lord? Be still. I have a plan. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be blessed like I am now. So we can look back. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We can look back and say, thank God. But at the time, you're struggling. But God, even in the suffering, is working through you. Even through the, the hardships, the trials, he's working through you. Through his grace, he's calling to you. So just know that if you're struggling, it's by his grace that you are suffering. And we praise God even through his sufferings. The Bible says that, uh, that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. And that there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 11. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, verse, verses 15 through 25. For I don't understand what I am doing. For I do, not, I do not do what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. So what is he talking about? His sinf- the sinful nature of man. But if I do what I don't want, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer me doing it, but sin that lives in me. Remember who's telling this. We're talking about Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament. This is him having an honest conversation, writing an honest letter about where he is spiritually. Oftentimes we don't do that with ourselves. We're not honest with ourselves, and we're not honest with those amongst us. We're not honest with our brothers and sisters. And it's hard sometimes to kind of take down those walls and let people in. But we have to be mindful that, you know what, there's no example of, of Christianity or, or even, uh, you know, uh, God-fearing alone. It's always been an example of fellowship, right? In, in the New Testament, he's writing to churches, bodies of believers, bodies of people who are fellowshipping together. Why? Because we need to lean on one another. When he sent them out, he sent them out two by two. Why? So they could be with somebody that's with them, so that they can have somebody to lean on for those hard times. And that's why we have the, the, the body here. But let's be honest with one another. Let's be honest with ourselves first and foremost. Let's be honest with God. Let's take down those walls and show our, our, our true, our, you know, I'm thankful for this younger generation. I'm, I really am. Because, you know, people could criticize all they want about this and that. But I have never seen a generation, especially of the men, that is just so honest with, with their feelings, their emotions, and what they're going through. You know, I, I, I work with Navy guys, and I've never, they're, they're pretty honest. You know, I've had guys come up to me and say, hey, man, I've been gone because I was in the hospital because I tried to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, like, that's very honest. Me, as a guy who's, not, who's born in the 80s, you know, it's all to be, you know, got to hold that in a little bit. I, would, I probably would never tell another random guy that I was in the hospital because I tried to commit suicide. But I, I, I'm actually envious of that type of honesty. I'm actually envious of that type of uh, genuine openness that they have. So I'm thankful for that this next generation of men is open with, with their shortcomings. Whereas, you know, my generation and older tend to put up this wall like we're, you know, we're hardened men. You know, we're men, guys, guys. And there's, there's something to be said of value there, too, you know. There's something, some value there where, you know, we scrape our knees and we get up and we keep on moving, you know. That's our generation. But there's also something to be said about the genuineness of being open that I value. And we see that here in in, in what Paul's saying. He says, for I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For I want to do the good, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but I do the very evil I do not want. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer me doing it, but sin that lives in me. So I find the law that when I want to do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. 
But I see a different law in my members waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that is in my members. Constantly reminding what? That we are always in a spiritual battle. We are always in a spiritual war. Constantly. And this is why it's important to lean on God's grace. And understanding that Paul, knowing this, is writing this down for me and for you so that 2,000 years later we can be reminded that we fall short. And that, you know, when we have our shortcomings, it's not, you know what? I give up. No, because what are we doing when we do that? We're devaluing God's grace. Yes. We are devaluing what the, the, the sacrifice that Christ did on the cross for us. We're saying it's not sufficient right. yeah. when we're trying to, to take up the, his cross and, and, and do it in our own lives yeah. and make a way in our own lives. We're saying his grace isn't sufficient in our lives. And we have to be reminded that he is the God who did this for us and his grace is sufficient. So then he says, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who? who? Who will rescue him? Christ alone. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there you go again. You see what? Solus Christus, right? And then he's going, doing what? Soli Deo Gloria. The same thing. I'm a, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So he tells us what? We all fall short of the glory of God. We are human beings. And we make mistakes. We have errors. We... We go through life and we, and, we, and we sin. But we have to be reminded that God's grace is still sufficient in our lives. And I think that's the message that I, you know, I, I came here to bring, is that we need to lean on God's grace. Oftentimes we hear messages about what we should be doing and what we need to be doing. And that's all great and that's true. And we need to be uh, uh, reined in in order to be good disciples, to go out and disciple others. Those, that stuff is great. But also we need to be reminded that God is still an omniscient God. He's an all-knowing God. He's an omnipotent, all-powerful God. And he can do those things for you. He can, he can make those miracles happen in your life. Amen. And we also have to be okay if he doesn't do the miracles. If the miracle doesn't happen, we have to be okay with Christ and say, you know what, there's a reason why God hasn't let me down that path. Maybe it's for my benefit. Maybe there's something in me that he's taking me down the road. Maybe I have to help someone else down the road with that same issue. Maybe it's a matter of time. God is going to give you the miracle, but he needs you to wait in the time. And you need to be patient because he's molding you through his grace. He's molding you into the Christian that he wants you to be. But you need to be patient and wait on the Lord. Because oftentimes we want to grab the reins and just run. And, but, you know, he's teaching us to be patient. Maybe he's bringing you that, that, that wife or that husband that you've been waiting on for so long. But you need to be patient because God is molding you as a, as a believer and as a Christian in order to bring you that perfect person for you. But, but Paul doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us there just wondering and in this, this downtrodden state. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. Even because of the extraordinary character of the revelations, therefore, so that I would not become arrogant, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to trouble me, so that I would not become arrogant. I asked the Lord three times about this, that it would depart from me. But he said to me, what? My grace is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore I am content with weaknesses. With insults. With troubles. With persecutions and difficulties. For the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak. Then I am strong. Praise God. Praise God. That when, you, when, when they're insulting you for loving Christ. You can lean on his grace. Yes. When you have the troubles that life is giving you, praise God because of his grace. 
When they persecute you, which trust me, the persecution is coming. When they persecute you for Christ, praise God for his grace. When there's difficulties for the sake of Christ, praise God. Because his grace is sufficient. Because I am made whole through my weaknesses. Because you know what it does? It forces you to lean on the Holy Spirit. It forces you to lean on Christ. It forces you to be reminded that God is a sovereign God. And that he knows all things. And he knows my ending, your ending, everyone's ending in here. And we have to, forces us to put our trust in the Lord. So that being said. So what the individual application. The individual application for us here in the church today. The individual application of grace is that every day we breathe, we have grace. Conviction of our sins is grace. He's allowing us to be reminded that what? That we fall short and we need him. We need Christ. Repentance is grace. The ability to be repent before the Lord is his grace. To be reminded that we fall short and say, Lord, I need you. I have fallen short. I have done it again. I've fallen flat on my face, and I need you. That's God's grace. Because it forces us to turn to God. So what does this tell us corporately? Corporately, it tells us what? If God has given us, as a, as a corporate body, grace beyond measure, right? We should be extending that grace to one another. So the same way that God is pouring grace into you, you should be pouring grace into others. And that's hard, and that's difficult, especially because we don't think like everyone else. You know, uh, I tell my wife all the time, you know, um, she says, you know, but I don't understand why this person doesn't do this. And I'm like, because they don't think like you. And it's okay. Well, I don't expect everybody to do things that I would do because they don't think like me. They haven't done the same things I do. They don't know the same things I do. And we have to be understanding of other people in that realm. One of my favorite all-time preachers, my, my favorite preacher of all time, Jonathan Edwards. I know, you know, people are like, Oh, wait a minute. But he's my all-time favorite preacher, right? He, he has a, a preaching called um, On Charity and Its Fruits. And when I, when I read this message, it, it, it changed me profoundly. And I'm just going to share a bit of it, and I'm going I'm to touch on it a little bit. So this is a, a, a quote from his, from, his, uh, from his preaching. And he's talking about charity amongst brothers. And when, when I say charity, it's not, not giving. He's talking about grace and forgiveness. You know, it's a, we're talking about a guy who's been dead for a long time. So words of, meanings of words mean something different back then. So when I first read charity, I thought he meant giving, but that's not what he's talking about. First, consider frequently your own failings, by which you have given both God and man occasion to be displeased with you. All your lifetime you have come short of God's requirements, and thus justly incurred his dreadful wrath. So each of us deserves what? God's wrath, because we have fallen short. And constantly you have occasion to pray to God that he will not be angry with you. Right? How, how many of us have prayed that prayer? Lord, forgive me. I have fallen short. I'm sorry. But he will show you mercy. And your failings have also been numerous towards your fellow men. How many times have you failed other people? You haven't lived up to their expectation. Your wife, your husband, your kids. I know I have. And have often given them occasion to be angry with you. Your faults are as great, perhaps, as theirs. And this thought should lead you to not spend so much of your time in fretting at the motes in their eyes, but rather to occupy it in pulling the beams out of your own. So we have to be reminded that we have fallen short of, of others, too. And that when, when people fail us, we have to be gracious towards them, just as God is gracious towards us. Amen. Because we have all fallen short. 
Very often, those that are most ready to be angry with others and to carry their resentments highest to their faults are equally or still more guilty of those same faults. So what is he trying to point out? And I, I, this is my biggest takeaway from reading that, is that if, if I'm judging somebody else right, or something that they're doing, if I've been guilty of that, I have to give that person the same kind of grace that I would expect them to give me and the same type of grace that I would expect the Lord to give me. I have to pour into those people. If not, I'm a hypocrite because I've been guilty of those same actions. And so those that are most apt to be angry with others for speaking evil of them are often most frequent in speaking of evil of others. We've all been guilty of that. And even in their anger to vilify and abuse them. If others then provoke us, instead of being angry with them, let our first thoughts be turned to ourselves. And let it put us on self-reflection. And lead us to inquire whether we have not been guilty of the very same things that excite our anger. Or even of worse. Thus thinking of our own failings and errors would tend to keep us from undue anger with others. Essentially, let's be considerate of others because God has given us grace. We have fallen short. Therefore, we should be mindful of others when they fall short on us. And that's easier said than done. I understand. But again, this forces us what? To lean on the Holy Spirit for understanding and for change. Because God will change you and mold you into that type of individual. So corporately, what does this mean? We need to lean on God's grace constantly in our lives, every day. And thus, in doing that, it will remind us what? That we need to pour grace into others. And again, easier said than done. But that's constantly the things that we need to be. It ties in together. And so when you do this, when you have faith in Christ alone, which is a gift of God, praise God, right? And we're reminded that Jesus Christ, Solus Christus, died on the cross of Calvary for our sins so that we may be made whole, right? We have faith alone, through grace alone. And that who's glorified alone? God alone be the glory. So let's just be reminded. This is just a word of encouragement for you guys as a, as a fellowship, as a body, that God's grace is sufficient. He has given us faith. And he's, he's died on the cross of Calvary for our sins so that we may be made righteous in his sight. And praise God and be mindful that we need to have mercy on others as he has had mercy on us. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Stay with me, brother. Let's just the people and bless them. God, we thank you for this word today. We thank you for our brother who has faithfully taught, instructed, and preached. As we rejoice together, the good news. We got nothing but good news today. Praise God. About who you are, what you've done, what we have, and how you, have, how you continue to work through us. We thank you, and we ask that you continue to soak these things deep inside of our hearts and our souls as you renew our minds. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.